Welcome to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply His Word to what's happening here and now. So on this particular episode of All Things, I want to share with you, the listener, the questions that I keep getting via text or WhatsApp or email. I've just been getting tons of questions over the past couple weeks from people who are in my life here physically and people who are overseas who are asking me to help them think through what is going on in the United States right now especially as it pertains to issues of racial disunity and racial reconciliation here in the U.S. So this episode is just going to go through six questions that I've gotten repeatedly over the last several weeks, and then four exhortations or four encouragements for you and for me as Christians in the United States right now, okay? So the number one question, not the number one, but first out of these six questions that I've been getting from believers is, can Christians say Black Lives Matter? You probably know by now that BLM, Black Lives Matter, the organization is actually a foundation, and they've got a statement of beliefs that do not align with biblical Christianity. There are significant gaps between BLM and the Bible. Um, Black Lives Matter, the organization, focuses on centering transgenderism, focuses on dismantling cisgender structures. They want to lift up especially the voices of Black trans women. They've got significant pushback on the nuclear family, advocating instead for children to belong to a village of support. Um, From what I can tell from their statement of belief, there doesn't seem to be an emphasis on reconciliation or unity, which of course would be championed by the Bible and by the gospel. So as an organization, as a foundation, I would say that Black Lives Matter, the organization, has some problems. If you're if you're a Christian who wants to uphold the word of God, there is some there are going to be some major differences. So my encouragement to you as a follower of Christ and as a biblical Christian would be you don't need to donate to the foundation, you don't need to join a chapter or sign a petition, but by all means what I want to say is that the phrase Black Lives Matter should be said with without shame and without hesitation by every Christian in our country. As Preston Perry said earlier this week, he said, um, and I quote, I don't know the person or people who founded the BLM organization. I do know that saying Black Lives Matter is a Christian worldview, though. Christians are not borrowing the slogan from the world. The world borrowed the truth from the Christian worldview. And I could not agree with Preston Perry more on that. The phrase Black Lives Matter, that is biblical. That comes out of the the biblical worldview. That is the Imago Dei. That is Genesis chapter one right there. Black Lives Matter is something that all Christians should be able to say without shame and without hesitation. My belief is that Christians should take it back. We should say it loudly. We should say it without hesitation. Yes, by all means, Christians, let's say the phrase Black Lives Matter. Okay, second question I get frequently is, can Christians use or embrace critical race theory, CRT. Can Christians embrace critical race theory? Now, I've got to be honest. I have avoided spending much time studying CRT personally over the last few years. I've actually been asked by many other Christian women to study it and discuss it with them. And I have just kind of avoided that. I have um, instead preferred to just pursue what the Bible has to say about race and personhood and justice. Um, I've wanted to pursue instead just a very strong theological, biblical understanding of these frameworks rather than going to a social theory for it. So um, I don't have a ton of time and experience studying CRT, but I have dove in, um, in the past couple weeks. And so 
um, critical race theory is a framework. Critical theory is above it. So there's critical theory, critical race theory, theory kind of comes out of it. And it's this, it's a, it's a theory that explains the world in terms of oppressor and oppressed. So everything is seen through that lens. We've got those who are doing the oppressing and those who are oppressed. It's a lens, it's a framework for seeing the world. Many conservative Christians are concerned because people seem to be embracing it beyond a framework. They seem to be embracing it instead of a lens to um, view life through. They, they tend to be embracing it as an ideology or a system where we work, to, we use it to work towards solving the issues in our nation right now. Critical race theory is definitely void of the gospel and it's void of a goal of unity. Honestly, my opinion after studying it is I think there might be some helpful things to it. You know, I have a background in anthropology and social sciences, so I like social theories. I think they can be helpful. However, I understand the hesitations on behalf of many conservative Christians to um, to dive full on and full, you know to go headlong into it. I would never place critical race theory above a biblical worldview, above the biblical narrative. The biblical narrative does an excellent job of explaining all of life. We have the meta narrative of scripture that you and I were created and then the fall happened. Sin entered the world. Jesus came to redeem us and we look forward to the consummation or the restoration of all of um, creation in the new heavens and the new earth. That's the biblical meta narrative. And because you and I were created by our God who gave us his word, that meta narrative, that explanation for all of life is going to be far more satisfactory, far more helpful, far more redemptive and soul satisfying than critical race theory. You know, in we are here in this in the the stage of redemption. Jesus has come, but he hasn't yet come back. So he he has brought redemption, but we are not yet at restoration. So here in this space in time where we live under redemption, my purpose for living is to love and honor and exalt God, to give him glory, to enjoy him, to share his love with others, to preach the gospel, and to live in a way that truthfully reflects my creator and his love for all people. So my thought is that if critical race theory is a huge threat in your church, or if it's a huge threat to you personally, then your church or you yourself haven't done the work to really embrace a biblical worldview of creation, Imago Dei, redemption, restoration, that I think the biblical worldview is always going to be more satisfying, more winsome, more helpful than a social theory is going to be. And so if you find yourself really wanting to dive headlong into CRT, then my encouragement to you would be to dive headlong into these the biblical frameworks for understanding personhood in all people's tribes, tongues, and nations, justice and love and compassion and what that might look like for us in 2020. So I don't think personally it's necessary to go so far as to say that anyone who's employing CRT in any way is outside of God's will or that it's anti-Bible or that it's super leftist. I know there's some strong concerns in the conservative Christian community and I get that, but even the Southern Baptist Convention back in 2019 had a resolution saying, you know what, CRT? and intersectionality can be helpful as a lens in some ways. And I have to say that's where I land as well. Okay. Number three, in terms of questions I've been getting, I keep hearing from people, Jen, isn't it enough to just preach the gospel? Like Jen, we're kind of tired of hearing you talk about these social issues. Can you just preach the gospel? Now I feel like that pushback probably comes from most people from a very good place. It's this feeling, the sense of like, these issues are so overwhelming. They're so complicated. There's so much suffering and pain. 
It can't just the gospel answer them. Like we're never going to have healing without the gospel. And I can't, I don't disagree with that, but it's a sense of like, why bother with other things? Because really only the gospel is the answer. I also think maybe this pushback comes from a fearful place. I think Christians are feeling threatened that worldly ideas are going to infiltrate the church and that Christians are going to give themselves over to worldly movements. And so it's a sort of protectionist mentality of like, no, keep all of those ideas that are in the world outside the church. We've got to huddle ourselves in this holy huddle and we're just going to preach the gospel. Now, you know, if you have followed me for long or if you attend my church or read my writings or read my book, you know that I champion the gospel above all things. I appreciate an allegiance to the gospel. First and foremost, I stand there too. I totally believe that Jesus Christ is the one true hope of the world. But to work towards justice here and now is not to nullify the gospel or to say that the gospel is not ultimately the answer. I would encourage you to go back and listen to all things episode number 43, where I say that actually the gospel moves us to act because we have been loved much. We too must love much because Jesus descended to this earth and humbled himself even unto death on the cross and rescued you and me. We too must seek to humble ourselves and seek to bring rescue and redemption and compassion and help to a hurting world. My opinion is that the gospel requires you and I who are who are saved by Jesus to move in this world in a way that brings about justice and restoration here and now. You know, you never hear this when it comes to other sin issues. You never hear, you know, just preach the gospel at abortion or just preach the gospel at orphan care or, you know what, to alleviate poverty and world hunger, we're going to just preach the gospel or to get rid of pornography or adultery or failing marriages, just preach the gospel. No, we never say that. We want to, the gospel compels us to look for ways, tangible ways here and now to bring healing on earth as it is in heaven. God's kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So no, I don't think we just preach the gospel at racial disunity in our country. I think the gospel compels us to move towards the hurt and to move towards those who are being treated unjustly and to bring God's restoration and justice to that situation. The fourth question I am receiving quite often is, what do you think about defunding the police? Okay, so as Christians, we acknowledge that there is good and evil in this world. We acknowledge that it is good and right to have laws and government in place for the good of the people, for the thriving of the people, for shalom, for there to be peace in our cultures. We understand also that individuals commit sins, individuals commit crime, and that some kind of justice is required for that individual when they transgress against our society in that way. We know we've got to protect society. We know that we've also got to seek the good of the criminal, and we've got to seek the good of the victim. Now, you and I as Christians, we admit, we readily confess that sin is pervasive. We agree that all have fallen short of the glory of God, that all sin, no one seeks good. And that sin is pervasive. We see sin so clearly in so many of our institutions, in all of our institutions in our culture. There are sinful practices, sinful standards, even sinful rules and laws at play in our nation even now. We can freely acknowledge that so many systems and institutions need to be reformed. I mean, I see Christians all the time crying for reform in education, in healthcare, in higher education. We want tax reform. There's all these ways that we want reform in various institutions in our nation. So it makes sense then that we would be 
in favor of reform in our nation's law enforcement if we see injustice there. Okay, this is just another institution where we can say, honestly, sin exists. And if there is a need for reform, we should look for reform. Now, notice I'm not saying defund. I say defunding police is a different conversation, but reform is one that I think we can have. So many conservative Christians are ardently pro-law enforcement, pro-military. It's sort of like this patriotic, like if I'm a patriot, then I'm pro-law enforcement. And I get that. Like my husband and I ministered in the military community for a decade. My son-in-law now serves in the military. Some of our dearest friends and even members at our church are in law enforcement. I'm so grateful to the Lord for law enforcement, for our military, for our police. I have the highest respect. But it's not wrong or personal or unkind to say, hey, if there is injustice, then we need reform. I think we can look at law enforcement across the nation and admit objectively that reform is probably necessary in many cities, in many municipalities, in many places across the country. So just one example of this is you might recall the death of Mike Brown in Ferguson, Missouri in 2014. Now, there were two studies that the Department of Justice had after his death. The first study looked at the, his specific death to see if the officers were at the wrong when, when Mike Brown was killed. That first study found that the officer was not in the wrong. It exonerated him. He was found innocent in that specific killing. But there was a second um, Department of Justice report that came out at the same time that almost nobody ever talks about, that almost nobody ever hears about. And that second Department of Justice re um, report found that the police in Ferguson had a history of antagonizing the community. They had a history of purposely going after people to, um, to issue various tickets in order to raise money, to raise the funding for that particular um, police precinct or that particular police department. Department. So there was documented objective evidence from the Department of Justice that, that, that the police force in Ferguson had been antagonizing for years the people of Ferguson, Missouri. So those are two different reports. One was hurt, broadcast widely in the media and one wasn't. And the reality is that many communities are just like Ferguson. People are upset because they have been mistreated in many other ways, not just police brutality or like the murder of George Floyd like we saw, but in a million smaller antagonistic ways every day, communities are feeling that kind of mistreatment and oppression from their police force. Again, not every cop, not every city, not every municipality, but this is a consistent finding across the country. And so it's okay for us as Christians to go, you know what? That's not right. Communities should not be antagonized by their police force. Police are there to protect and to serve. And if that's not happening, then we should correct it. We know that law enforcement, there's a lot of unions and various boards that um, police officers can appeal to if a complaint is formed against them. We know that the way police officers investigate complaints um, against one another is to investigate it themselves. So it's this internal investigation process. If there's a complaint made against one officer, another officer follows up on it. So of course there's this culture of not wanting to tattle on each other. There's this culture of like, well, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt because later on I want you to give me the benefit of the doubt. So I think that we can all say objectively that police unions and the way and the boards that are in place 
to investigate complaints fall short from what we might think of as a good standard of justice. I think we can agree that reform would be helpful here. I mean, this is the same thing we say about so many other unions and so many other institutions. I don't think it's un-American or unpatriotic or unhelpful to seek justice in these areas. You know, with the George Floyd murder, Derek Chauvin, the officer who killed him, he had 17 complaints against him the day that he arrested and killed George Floyd. 17 complaints. And the head of the police union in Minneapolis, who's currently the head of the police union, he currently has 29 complaints against him. So, and and those complaints, by the way, are hidden from public view. We cannot just go see what those complaints are. But the reality is there are complaints against them. And not that all cops have to be perfect all the time, but we can look at the situation and go, Derek Chauvin should not have been practicing that day. Derek Chauvin should not have been on the clock. He should not have been available to um, be to be in the position that he was in. I think this might be, friends, a blind spot that we have in the conservative Christian community because we want to be patriotic and we want to uphold law enforcement and military, which is good and right. As I said, those are my people too. And, um, and I, I have respect and gratitude But I think this is a blind spot for us where somehow we feel like we're not patriotic if we say some reform would be helpful. But but what I know to be true is that that the cops that are on the street to truly serve and to truly protect and that they want to influence for good and they want to move into communities in a way that is redemptive and helpful and seeks the true welfare of the people, I know that those good cops want reform too. I know that they did not want Derek Chauvin on the clock that day. So it's... It's okay for all of us to come together and say, hey, I think reform is needed here. And and just as a side note, I think it's kind of strange that Protestants push back against protesting. That is our name. We are Protestants because we protested. Not only that, but we have a reformed theology. Praise God, there were reformers in our history that reformed theology, that looked at the institution of the Catholic Church and said, hey, we need to make some adjustments here because this is these things are not true. We want to move. We are going to protest and we are going to reform. This is, this is part of who we are. So I don't think a priori we should reject protesting or reformation. Okay, moving on to question number five. What I hear frequently is this, aren't emotions untrustworthy? Shouldn't we only be using statistics and data? Okay. The reality is statistics don't say everything and statistics can say anything is, you know, as quickly as you send me an article about how there is no instances of racial bias amongst police or in government or wherever, I can send you an article back that says there most definitely is. We can, the the pool that research is drawn from can be skewed and limited. Whoever's doing the research probably has an agenda. Statistics generally cover things like crime or police reports or police brutality. These are incidents or things that are measured after they have, after they have happened in a tangible way. But what can't be measured is experiences. What's not measured is what so many of our black friends are telling us about now. In this moment, we're hearing stories about being unjustly pulled over or unjustly handcuffed or followed in the store or asked to leave the store or the way maybe a biracial couple where the the white spouse is treated one way, but the black spouse is treated another way. Ways that um, our black friends have to carry themselves in certain neighborhoods or certain communities. Statistics tell 
tell an incomplete story because they are only telling the story of crimes that have been committed or brutality that has already taken place. Statistics don't tell these experiences that happen to our black friends a hundred times a day in a hundred different ways. So statistics are incomplete. We need to go beyond the data. Statistics are absolutely useful. I use them all the time on my All Things podcast. I use them all the time in my writing. They influence the way I think about things. There absolutely is a place for them. But my plea to you and me is that we would go beyond the statistics. Look at the context. Look at the situation. Look at the history that has created the situation that brings about the statistics. So why why are there certain kinds of neighborhoods? What is the atmosphere in that neighborhood? What is the history behind that neighborhood? What is the redlining that took place? If you don't know what that means, please look it up. But what has happened historically in that community that's created the statistics that are coming out of that community? This is the place where we need stories. This is the place where you and I need to pause and to listen and to seek to understand the experiences of the Black community in these specific situations. Stories tell us more than the statistics. Not only that, but I think this pushback on emotion is so strange because emotions are from God. God gives us emotions. Emotions are throughout scriptures. We see the psalmist weeping and wailing, downcast. We see there's a whole book of the lamentations. We see Jesus grieving. We see Jesus angry. We see that same thing from the apostles. Like, Emotions are good, you guys. It's okay to embrace the emotions of the moment. We need the stories. We need the statistics and we need the emotions. There's room for all of them. Last question that I'm sticking into this particular episode. There are more, trust me, but I just went with these top six. The sixth one is, hey, but Jen, can't you just listen to this one black speaker or preacher or thinker or political pundit for me? So I have to say, I keep getting in my inbox just a handful, it's the same ones over and over of um, black podcasters or commentators where my white friends are saying, can't you just listen to this one? Like, this is this one, listen to their perspective. This is the one that I think really gets it. So of course, everyone is welcome to their own perspective. Everyone is welcome at the table, especially if it's a minority voice. I want to be sensitive in this moment and say, what, what is it that you have to say? What is the perspective that you want to share? But you and I need to ask the question, if there are only a few, if there's one or two or three or a few voices saying the same thing, but 97% of other black voices out there are saying something different, why is that? It takes effort to scroll past the 97% of voices that are rehearsing similar narratives, similar stories, and similar perspectives. And then you're pulling out just the few that happen to confirm the bias or the story or the thoughts that you already had. Now, majority opinions aren't everything. Sometimes a majority absolutely can be wrong, but it's worth understanding why the majority of our Black brothers and sisters have a similarity in the stories that they're sharing, in the narratives that they're sharing. I am seeing too many white conservative Christians championing just a couple of voices in the black Christian community or just the black conservative community. And those voices happen to be saying things like, you know what, there's no racism or the black community is the problem. It's not the police that's a problem or it's wrong or it's anti-gospel to engage in justice work on behalf of the black community. I'm hearing this the, this message from just a few voices. And it concerns me that we're scrolling past the thousands of other voices that are saying something very different. 
So let's be careful not to prize or to champion this one person who gets it, even though the majority is saying something else. Majority, again, it's not everything, but it is something. So those are the questions I wanted to share with you today. Now, here's how I want to close. I want to plead with the church and myself. I want to be reminding myself of these four things. The first thing I want to plead with the church is this. If you don't think that racism is a legitimate issue in 2020, my, my exhortation to you is would you please pause and pray and really consider the black voices in our community, in our nation. If you don't have any black friends, would you please turn to the literature or um, to, to some podcasts or some articles or some historical works? I'm actually hosting a book club online and in person where we're going to read The Warmth of Other Sons. I love that book because it tells the story of the history of African-Americans in our nation so beautifully. It's just well-researched. 15 years of research went into this book and it won the Pulitzer Prize and it just tells story after story of the Black American experience. And I want to share that with my community and just and listen and learn from what that experience was like. So my plea to you is if you think that racism is not an issue, that it's a thing of the past, then um, my exhortation is that you're not listening. And my invitation is, would you listen? Would you join my book club? Read this book with me and listen to these stories. Second encouragement, second exhortation is that as Christians, this is a moment in time where you and I cannot stay silent. We cannot stay still. When we don't do something, when we don't take action in a moment like this, we miss out on a cultural moment to really bear witness to our God in heaven, who is good and kind and creative, who made man in his image, who created all these beautiful different skin colors, who appointed that we would live here and now. When you and I don't when we don't take action in moments like this, the philosophies of this world, the hollow and deceptive philosophies of this world, they become more winsome and more attractive to both believers and unbelievers alike. If you opt out now, then you better believe that people that are watching you are going to look elsewhere for answers. But if you and I step into this moment and go, you know what? The Bible shows us how to think and how to respond to these things. The God of the universe, the God who made black skin and white skin, the God who can bring justice and righteousness for all who are oppressed. He has something to say for this moment. Now, if you and I stand on the sidelines and wring our hands and go, I don't know if I can join in, you know, it kind of reminds me of like the environmental movement. Christians are like, you know, a lot of secular atheist, new age hippies are environmentalists. So I can't be, I can't be an environmentalist because they are. No, the reality is we have a creator who made the earth we worship him. We should be the most involved in creation care. We should be the best environmentalists because we know the creator. So it's like that with this particular situation. You and I should be compelled by the maker of heaven and earth, the, the God who knit together in our mother's wombs, these beautiful skin tones, the God who is sovereign and just over even this cultural moment, the God who wants to right every wrong. You and I have got to dive in there. Like I fear friends, Christian friends, we are ruining our witness by standing off on the side and wringing our hands and going, I don't know if I can join in because this, that, or the other about this theory or this, that, or the other about this particular organization or foundation. 
No, be compelled by your creator and your savior to move towards injustice and to bring justice, to move towards oppression and to bring love, to move towards the hurting and bring healing. This is not the moment to be quiet. This is not the moment to stay away and to be silent because you're so worried about how you're going to be perceived. You know how you're going to be perceived if you don't dive in now? You're going to be perceived as someone who doesn't care, who's only concerned about your well-being, your neighborhood, your school, your livelihood, your community. You're going to be perceived as someone who is far off, who stands far away from suffering. And that's not who we are called to be as Christians. So my admonishment to you and to me is to dive in. But number three, my third plea is let's do give each other a lot of grace as to what that's going to look like. The action that I take is going to look different than the action that you take. You're going to use a hashtag that I might not use. You might go to a protest that I might not go to, or I might go to the protest and you're not going to the protest. You know, we're going to do this in different ways. Maybe you're going to start by reading some books, by joining some online communities, by trying to cultivate some friendships with people that don't look like you or are not in your socioeconomic bracket. The work is going to look different. The action is going to look different. And here is where I think Christians need to be giving each other a lot of grace. It's not okay to say, hey, you're only a Bible-believing good Christian if you do it my way. I think that not taking action is not an option. But let's give grace to each other in what that action might look like. There's not one exact right way to do this right now. And it's not fair to judge one another's maturity based on our work in this moment. Finally, friends, the fourth exhortation to you and to me is that we are exiles. The Apostle Peter calls us this. We are exiles. This is not our home. If you feel like you don't fit in right now, praise the Lord because you shouldn't fit in right now. You and I do not put our hope in a political figure. We don't put our hope in a political party. We put our hope in the risen Christ. And in this moment that is very dark in our nation, we are called to shine like stars in the universe, as Paul put it. We are called to bring grace and truth. We're called to bear witness in this moment. So if you feel like an exile, that's a good thing. If you feel tempted, like, oh, I want to run to this corner where everything's nice and tidy, and we look at everything in a very, you know, black and white sort of way. Don't run to the corner. Don't run to any corner. There's room for nuance and for care in the way that we are approaching these issues. We don't have to go, hey, I'm all black lives or I'm all blue lives or I I totally reject CRT or it's just only the gospel. You know, there's all these little camps that we want to run to and hide in because there's somehow some sort of safety in being really dogmatic um, and cut and dried about these things. But I just don't think that's the way of Jesus in this moment. Um, The gospel is one of paradox. The Christian life is one of paradox, grace and truth. And so my exhortation to you and to me is to indeed take action, but know that this is not our home and it's not going to feel like it. Thank you, friends, for listening to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply His Word to what's happening here and now.